You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Let them go. Chapter 12. Breaking Point. Tell me about your wife, Rebecca said with interest. The effect was enough to catch Dawson's attention again. I'm sure she's a fine woman. How did the two of you meet? Roberta? The solicitor murmured. Why, she's the very best of wives. He put down his plate next to the untouched cutlery. We met when I was attending the wedding of a business associate of mine, William Smythe. She was one of the bridesmaids. Bill lives around here, actually. I should call in on him tomorrow when all this is over. He sat back, and for the first time since she had known this man, his face softened. My Berta has long, golden ringlets, and looks not entirely dissimilar to your sister, Miss Wolverton, though she is of a fuller figure and holds a bearing I admire in a lady, proud yet discreet. I took her rowing many times before she would agree to have me for her husband, but she secretly confessed later her readiness to say yes immediately. She simply wanted to allow me the pleasure of showing off my rowing arms. He paused for a while, his mind far away, then blinked rapidly and scratched at his head. She always makes things immensely easy for me. I never feel I'm being untoward... And I've wanted for nothing. His expression darkened. I'm glad I did not bring her to this godforsaken place. They sat despondently as Rebecca attempted to compose a positive opening for a discussion on the possibility of Dawson's safe return. She could not do it, knowing any mention of such eventualities would be disingenuous. What of you, young lady? Has a young gentleman caught your eye? Has there been the prospect of a good husband to support you? There was... one. Rebecca said softly, after a period of reflection. Oh, I'll warrant more than a single potential suitor has featured in your life. A woman of some uh, minor standing, with so fair a face as yours. You are very kind, sir. I... I don't mean there were no other suitors... But there was one that I loved truly. And next to him all others were but brightly painted wooden toys, wrought in a similar shape. He sounds like a splendid fellow indeed to capture a girl's heart so. Was he wealthy? No, Rebecca said, thinking back. He didn't have much in his pockets, but he had the whole world at his feet. Time passed as she recounted the story of the young man with golden curly hair who had walked into her shop in their fleeting romance, which had ended in disappointment and a sorrowful parting. Another woman turned his head, no doubt. Yes, no doubt. I don't mean to imply he found someone fairer, but there are many more women of means out there, and you and I both know your financial position. Yes, we do. You shall have some help in future when you try again, however. 
With your aunt dead, that makes you and your sister the owners of this house, as well as Blackthorn and your shop. So, silver lining, eh? I count my lucky stars. But he wasn't looking at her. He had pulled a yellow cartridge from his pocket, and for the past few minutes had been examining it critically. These are birdshot, he muttered eventually when she had left off the conversation. Dawson promptly broke the shotgun open and slid out the two rounds inside. They were also yellow. How many buckshot did Mr. Culver say we had? Five. And he got off two rounds. Did any of them injure the fiend? He missed both times. But Cleo caught it in the head with a third. Will the birdshot kill one of them? Do they look much like birds to you? No, but they don't look much like bucks either. Dawson glared at the now empty cake stand and shuffled the yellow shells inside his pocket. There has to be more buckshot. Rafe will have the remaining two in his coat. If one of those lunatics gets in here and all we have is these, we may as well serve ourselves up on a platter. There was a smash from upstairs and they were both on their feet. A ripping cloth sound followed and the shattering of China. (sighs) Betty. No, it's your deranged sister. She's tearing the room apart. This was punctuated with a long melancholy scream, the edges of which were tinged with something new and dark. Rebecca's stomach tensed as she struggled to accept that this noise came from Amanda. Go and see to her! Dawson ordered, and Rebecca rushed up the stairs, momentarily relieved that he hadn't made for the master bedroom with the shotgun again. But why would he? There was no buckshot to hand to murder Amanda with. Rebecca paused on the stairs and listened to Dawson pace across the parlour, open the cellar door and descend the stone steps. Things clicked into place and she stood rooted to the spot. The cacophony of destruction just up the stairs and the footfalls of a saboteur beneath. Rebecca retraced her steps and found herself by the front door. She could see light emanating from the cellar, flickering against the wall between the kitchen and the scullery. The solid oak was at her back as she listened fretfully, underneath the sound and fury of Amanda, for any sign that a bargast might be immediately outside. Rebecca warily and with the utmost caution opened the front door. The night air hid her. She felt infinitesimally small in the middle of this black wilderness. Things might have been moving in the gardens, but she had no time to inspect them. The risk had already been taken. Ten yards away, Aunt Cleo's body lay upon the grass, quite still. Rebecca scurried forwards, holding her breath and keeping her head up and alert for attackers. Vigilance would not help her if they were close. She knew that now. Rebecca knelt beside Cleo and moved her slightly, trembling at how stiff and cold she was. This was not a person, not her aunt anymore. Cleo was somewhere else now. This cadaver bore no relation to the warmth and kindness of that woman. Blindly, Rebecca felt about inside Cleo's pinafore pockets, her fingers closing around iron shapes. She retrieved the ring of keys and rushed back to the front door, managing not to slam it in doing so. The prickles on her neck told her that in the last few seconds at least one of them had drawn near. And now Rebecca was back inside the house, panting hard, gripping the keys and tucking them into her jacket cuff 
to keep that hand free. She crossed to the cellar steps and descended. Similar noises to those coming from Amanda's bedroom were clattering off the plastered walls in here. The sound of cabinets being opened and shut, jars being turned over, shelving being ground aside. Dawson's shirt was loose and open, smeared with oil and dirt. His hair was awry, his movements frantic and furious. He did not turn to face her. Uncle Matthew's leather hunting knapsack was hanging on a coat hook, and since her dress had only two shallow pockets in the jacket portion, she silently brought it down and slung it over her shoulder. Dawson's head whipped around to glare at her. What are you searching for, sir? It's obvious what I'm searching for, woman. There have to be more cartridges. That bitch couldn't have left our lives hanging upon shells intended to bring down quail. Flecks of spittle were escaping his champing mouth as he bellowed this. The shotgun lay on its side upon the workbench in the center of the room. Rebecca kept it in the corner of her eye. Dawson turned away from her and kicked over a barrel. There's nothing in here but scrap! Rebecca flinched. I don't know whether Cleo and Rafe looked earlier, she said in a small voice, pointing at the hatch in the far wall. But Uncle Matthew kept things in there. Dawson eyed it, then strode over and grasped the rusted handle. Rebecca glanced at the shotgun as his back turned, and then at her escape route up the stairs. A jar lay on its side four steps up. That would have to be hopped over with precision, or she wouldn't make it in time. Dawson strained against the archaic mechanism, and with a shudder, the hatch broke open and creaked outwards. A different air blew into the cellar, ancient and bitter, and slightly metallic. Dawson peered into the space, his head twitching and fingers spasming. Darkness there and nothing more. Rebecca stepped forward, gripped the gun by the barrel, lifting its weight and pacing back to the cellar steps. Her escape depended on these first movements not being sudden or surprising or panicky or frantic. She was simply picking up an object and moving to another room with it. That way his response would be delayed by the brief illusion of propriety and she could prevent her heart from exploding in her chest. Put that down! He snapped, his head switching round, eyes flared. She had cleared the step with the jar. The next sound that escaped him terrified her more than any she had heard that night. He gnashed his teeth together and a hiss surged out of him. She bolted and he pursued. There were nine more steps and her boots were not as suited to fast travel as his shoes. By the time she was at the doorway he was practically upon her. All Rebecca could make out in a frantic backward glance were pieces of Dawson moving between shadows as he drew closer and became larger. She caught a flash of his orange-flecked corneas and lurched forwards across the threshold, grabbing the door handle and yanking it back to close the monster in. <coughs> his hand blocked the way and she felt a sickening crunch as the hard, heavy wood impacted with his wrist. The scream that peeled forth from him froze the blood in her veins. 
The door couldn't close while they stood locked into position like this, so Rebecca turned and kicked at the wall behind her, changing the force of her desperate pull to a push. The door moved inwards and the hand was yanked away while the scream was still going on. The wood struck Dawson as he clutched at himself and he was knocked backwards. There was a thump followed by several more and Rebecca was struck with a fresh wave of urgency as she pulled the cellar door closed again. She had hurt him. Badly. Maybe even killed him. She shook the keys out of her sleeve and onto the floor, holding the handle closed as she reached down. There was a growling from the cellar, then the smashing of glass, a crunch and a bellow of rage as Rebecca counted the keys with shaking hands. The silver one was the master bedroom, that much she knew. That left nine more in various shapes. Jangling through, ignoring any that had partners, she located three that looked different to the rest. She pushed the middle-sized one into the lock and immediately knew something was wrong. It wasn't fitting into the housing and couldn't turn. She snatched it out and felt the vibrations on the stonework that signified Dawson was climbing the stairs again. Gasping, she shoved the longest key into the lock and twisted just as the handle was forcefully yanked downward, jarring her wrist. There was a merciful click of iron falling into place. Then a powerful shudder as his fist impacted on the door from the other side. Sir, please listen to me. You're not well. And I have locked you in for your protection as well as mine. My sister is confined to her room until she can receive medical help. You are most likely infected and it makes absolute logical sense to quarantine you. This is your best chance of getting well again. Please calm down, rest and wait. You are safer in there than I am out here. I promise you I mean no harm. And I am very sorry about your wrist. The doctor can see to that too. Please, just stop fighting. (sighs) Mr Dawson, I'm trying to save us all. There was no reply, and doubt had settled in. As she sat there cradling the shotgun, listening to his slow, eventual descent, she held a hand to her forehead, then to her mouth to stifle a sob. She was alone now. The house was silent. Rebecca took the remaining candle from its place on the dresser, along with the nearby box of matches which she stowed in the knapsack. She inspected the shotgun and found it had two triggers, one for the left barrel and one for the right. It seemed like in a moment of surprise and panic, it would be very difficult to pull just one of these. But she familiarized her index finger with this task nonetheless. Rebecca moved quickly from door to door, the key ring out. She secured the dining room, scullery and kitchen, fastening the additional locks on the back and front doors, then crept upstairs to seal each of the three remaining bedrooms. Her eyelids felt heavy, and Rebecca comprehended now just how cold she had become. Pulling her dress jacket close around her, she retrieved a shawl from Aunt Cleo's chest of drawers and held it to her face, inhaling that familiar, spicy, perfume. Crossing back to the area outside the master bedroom, she listened intently, straining her ears before whispering, Amanda, are you there? There was no response. 
I've made the house as safe as I can. I'd like so much to be able to talk to you right now. You and I are all that's left of our family, my darling. Just the two of us in these old houses. It could get awfully lonely. But if you don't want to talk, that's quite all right. I just want you to know that I'm here. Rebecca sat in the dark with her back to the door for a long time, her head nodding forwards, jolting her awake. On every occasion she readjusted and tried to get herself comfortable again. Every time she went from passing into sleep to that sudden wakefulness, there was a brief period, a short span of seconds where she was bewildered and displaced and could not remember the specifics of what was going on. Realization dawned that she liked that feeling because in those tiny blurry windows, her life entire was not lying in wreckage. Eventually she leaned sideways against the door frame, resting her head, but not seeking sleep. Instead, she indulged in a memory. been listening to the new century multiverse let them go episode 12 breaking point written narrated and directed by alexander shaw rebecca wolverton performed by sharon shaw burwell dawson performed by matt ramsey amanda culver performed by theo lee welcome to horror land medusa giant worm immersed and Vanishing, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Many soundscapes provided by Tabletop Audio. New Century's production is funded by Patreon. It literally wouldn't exist without you good people throwing in every month. Thank you to everyone for making this happen. And our $15 sponsors get named and the opposite of shamed. Joel Robinson, Abel Savard, Kevin Otero, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Sarah Montgomery, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finn Barnicol, Jameis Enright, Mark Lush, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, David Garcia Abril, Kieran Datchler, and Lorraine Chisholm. Long, long ago, on this very spot, a promise was made at the witching hour.